They're not going anywhere. Looks to me like you're surrounded. But you look like the practical type. Let's discuss our options. I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. Once again, Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the 127th Starfighter Building episode of Mandovision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. You know the best way to reach out to us is, of course, via social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, sharing this show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. We truly, truly appreciate that. And, oh, hey, we got to check in on the Mandalorian Covert in this episode. My goodness, yes, we are back. It is Chapter 5, The Book of Boba Fett, Return of the Mandalorian. And, listen. <laughs> I, You know, last week I mentioned that, that it was going to be very difficult for me to get this podcast out same day. As 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 I was going to be, I knew I was going to be traveling, uh, and it was going to be hard to get this show out same day. Um, but I was so enthralled and, and delighted with the episode today um, that I am I am recording late late at night. Uh, the lights are off. I'm I'm moved all the equipment into uh, the dining room area of my home so that I do not disturb my my dogs <laughs> and my wife with this podcast tonight because yeah I really was just itching to talk about this one. Ooh, I turned that down a little quickly there. Sorry about that. So in a in a lot of senses tonight is is Mandavision after dark. So brace yourself. It could get crazy in here. It it probably won't. <laughs> but if the show's a little bit more if I'm a little bit more subdued uh, than I normally am, that is because I'm trying to keep my uh, uh, just the, the enthusiasm I have for this episode, I'm trying to trying to control it, trying to trying to keep it focused for this discussion because I, I, what we, what we saw today was just something else. I mean, just a phenomenal episode of the of the show. Um, but we are gonna get crazy. We are gonna get a little nuts, and we're, we're gonna talk about um, 
we're going to talk about some things. I guess is the best way to put it, right? This is an episode full of tons of, of amazing Easter eggs, a lot of great mythology and lore from Star Wars, from Star Wars The Clone Wars, from Star Wars Rebels, uh, and, and, and just from all eras of of the of the of the of, of the Star Wars you know films you know you get a lot of prequel love in this one you get references to very uh, obscure bits of of, of uh, what we thought was simply trash at the time from the original trilogy uh, to a reference of to a creature in in uh, Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi a movie that is do uh, say it kindly is is divisive amongst the fans um, and and. And we even go into other areas of media too. We get we get video game callbacks. We get so many great things. Again, callbacks into the own mythology of these of these Disney Plus shows with the man. More you know, going back into the Mandalorian and all all his lore. Um, so much to get into with this one. So much to process. Um, and and listen, I'm just gonna say it right off the bat. I think I think uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and and John Favreau just nailed it out. This smashed this one out of the park. Uh, just a really phenomenal episode uh, for for us Star Wars fans, and uh, again, let's talk about it right now before we even get into like the meat of the show. I definitely thought it was an interesting and a, and a fairly bold choice to uh, uh, take an entire chapter of a show named for Boba Fett and dedicate it the entire episode to Din Djarin, to the Mandalorian, and and kind of catching us up on what he's been going through and his sort of uh, trials and tribulations post the season two finale when he, when he had to, when he, when he let Grogu go off with Jedi master Luke Skywalker and sort of catching up with where he's at, what's going on with him, his state of mind. And again, it's really, really well done. But as I watched the episode the first time around, I was, I, I sort of kept waiting for it to sort of dovetail into Boba's adventures and it's like, oh, well, how are these two things going to kind of intersect? Like, how is Din Djarin going to come into Boba Fett's story? How are these two things going to going to meet? And and I sort of, you know, if you're if you're a listener of this podcast, you know that I often have to watch these episodes a second time because where I think the story may go is often very very different from where it ends up at. Uh, and and sometimes I I sort of have to, you know, again take that second viewing to be like, oh, okay, now I see the where the path that we're on where we're going with this, as opposed to sort of like what my expectations are. And that's something we've always talked about on this podcast is managing our expectations for Star Wars and, and what we think is going to happen next. Um, and I like I, I very much like being wrong. I, I really, really do. I like that Favreau keeps me on my toes and, and it always uh, manages to sort of uh, keep... Keep uh, keep pulling the rug out from under me, <laughs> if if I can say it in that regards, and I mean that uh, in in the nicest way possible. Because like I said, I, I I sort of kept waiting for for this to cross with what was going on with Boba, and I thought maybe we might get another perspective on sort of like the um the the sort of rising threat of the Pikes in in Tatooine in in, in that sector of of of, uh, of the Outer Rim, right? Um, but that's not really what we got at all. It, it's, it's very much like um, um, a, a preview of season three of The Mandalorian in many, many senses. Uh, and it's not till the very, very end that it, that it, that it goes into Boba Fett's story. And, and Fennec Shand is there to kind of bring it back to our main narrative. And again, I think that was a very interesting choice. Uh, I have seen people on the social medias who have been very critical of that decision, of that choice. And 
again, from a narrative perspective, I suppose I can see where they're coming from. Um, but when you look at what we got, we got we got fifty minutes of really great Star Wars, and and they still have two episodes to pull off what they have to pull off with Boba. Though I, we may talk about that at the very end. Will we get another episode that's focused on the Mandalorian? Um, and, and, we'll, and we'll get there. But again, an interesting choice at the very least uh, for to go this direction to focus this heavily on Din Djarin's, um story in the middle of Boba Fett's story. And we'll see if it pays off. Again, the other thing we preach on this show, wait till the season's done, wait till the story's done. We have, That way we get the full picture and then we can sort of Again, I'll use that word that I like use so much. We will contextualize the entire thing, and then we can we can uh, praise it, criticize it, discuss it, all those things, and and we'll do it in a positive manner, and just be awesome, awesome Star Wars fans. And that's all we're gonna do. So let's 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 go ahead and get into the particulars again. This episode directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, written by John Favreau. Our principal cast this week: Tamora Morrison gets main credit as Boba Fett. Ming Na Wen is Fennec Shand. Pedro Pascal is the Mandalorian. Um, but I think we all know that Pedro is really just doing the ADR on this one, and it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's it's a, the usual suspects: Latif Crowder and uh, um, uh, Brendan Wayne as as the Mandalorian. Emily Swallow is the armor. Amy Sedaris is Peli Moto. Editor Radpour is uh, Kababais. and who else we got in this one? Uh, Max Lloyd Jones gets to be another Star Wars character after after being the stand-in for for digital. Mark Hamill in in the season two finale of of The Mandalorian. Uh, Paul Hung Paul Sun Hung Lee returns as Captain Carson Tiva. Jean Favreau is the voice of Paz Vizsla, and it's Tate Fletcher once again re- assuming the role of the physical person of Paz Vizsla. And that is sort of our main main cast in this episode. Um, and yeah, again, we're we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this one because there is so much to get into and and it <laughs> i don't even know where to start with this one uh that I, again you know we we normally like to walk through the episode point by point um but i'm not even sure we can do that with this one because there, there's just so much to get into so i guess we'll have to see how we we'll, i'll figure it out we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna figure it out so you know what that means it's time strap on your buckets Let's go. What do you know of this blade? I am told it is the dark saber. Indeed. Do you understand its significance? Whoever wields it can lead all of Mandalore. If it is won by creed in battle, it is said one warrior will defeat twenty and the multitudes will fall before it. If, however, it is not one in combat and falls into the hands of the undeserving, it will be a curse unto the nation. Mandalore will be laid to waste and its people scattered to the four winds. The hilt is of a quality of Beskar I have never seen before. It was forged over a thousand years ago by the Mandalore Tar Visla. He was both Mandalorian and Jedi. I have met Jedi. Then you have completed your quest. I have. Then you may join our covert as we rebuild. This is the way 
this is the way. This is the way. All right, let's go ahead and talk about that opening section of the episode, the return, the reintroduction of our favorite Mandalorian, Din Djarin. And uh, quite the entrance it is, as we are reintroduced to him, making his entrance into a Clutunian meatpacking plant. Uh, he's back working for the guild, tracking down bounties, and, and, and doing the whole thing. We get to hear his catchphrase, bring you in warm, bring you in cold. And then we have a, a pretty cool fight uh, against some Clatoonians, right? And it's exciting. It's fun, especially when we see that he is, uh, that Din is employing the Darksaber as part of his bounty hunting arsenal. Uh, and I think we can tell early on that uh, he is not the best with the Darksaber. He is not well-versed in its use and and we see that struggle as he um as he really struggles to use it right we can kind of sort of tell that he's really uncomfortable with that weapon he's trying his best but uh as we find out later in the episode he's sort of fighting the saber and that's a fight that he's not going to win this is stuff that we can call back to in star wars rebels uh when kanan jarris is teaching sabine wren how to use the how to use the dark saber uh, so it's nice to see that that through line still holding true in the Book of Ovet, a.k.a. the Mandalorian at this point. And listen, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to slip up at some point and refer to this as the Mandalorian episode, <laughs> the, the Mandalorian show, and not the Book of Ovet. And I'm truly sorry. It's not meant as an insult. It's just, again, it's so hyper-focused on the Mandalorian uh, that, that it's, it's hard. I'm going to slip. I'm just going to slip. And I'm sorry. I don't mean to be insulting. Uh, but yeah, it's a great sequence. I really enjoyed the sort of meatpacking plant. The the concept art they show at the end of the episode for it is fantastic with like those like severed heads on hooks. I thought that was pretty awesome. I would have loved it if they'd done that. That would have looked phenomenal. Um, but it's also funny to me that in this sequence, you know, the the Clatoonians have always looked, um, have always had sort of a bit of a, you know, a bulldoggy kind of look, right? Uh, and to see one go after Din by just biting him on the hand. Uh, there's something about that that just struck me as very, very funny. And like, oh, that is how the, the Clatoonians will fight sometimes. Okay, there we go. All right, it's on. Uh, but a good sequence. Uh, and maybe maybe I'm reading a bit much into it, but how did you think uh, Din sort of handled this fight? Again, he had, some, he had his struggles. That's not new for him. Uh, but he seemed to have a lot of in my opinion, he seemed to have a lot of uh, uh, anger in him, a lot of uh, emotion in the way he fought this battle, especially at the end, you know, when he, when he kills his bounty, uh, not only does he stab him with, with a vibroblade and toss him onto a table, he then very violently cleaves him in half uh, through the table with the Darksaber. Uh, it, seemed a bit, it seemed a bit uncharacteristic to me, but again, it's a great sequence, uh, but I think, we're, I think they're trying to show us a bit of his emotional state and how... Uh, He's not quite where he was uh, since Grogu's moved on. And, um, yeah, and we're going to talk about that more as the episode plays out because it, that's definitely something that is affecting him, and we know that. And it's not subtle. They very, they very much hit that point home uh, as the episode plays out. We get a, a nice little reference to uh, a, a Sam Peckinpah movie, uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, when, when, when Din comes out of the room with the Clatoonian head in the bag. Uh, and then, and this is an episode chock full of of references to uh, other sci-fi moments. Now, okay, Peck and Paw is not a sci-fi, but uh, 
bringing the head of Alfredo Garcia sort of a, a neo-Western in a lot of senses, which very much fits into the motif of The Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett. So I think that works for this one. Uh, what we see next is, you know, after we get our title card, we start to see where we are, and, and we're on a ring world, uh, which is something I, I don't think of, even in Expanded Universe Star Wars I, I've ever come across. Uh, and to see it actualized in a live-action series, I thought was absolutely phenomenal. And again, the first thing I thought of uh, was Halo. I was like, oh my god, are they shouting out Halo by having a ring world uh, in, in the Star Wars universe? And whether that was the influence or not, uh, it was awesome. I thought it was really, really cool. It's such a unique environment. And to see it brought to life in Star Wars was really, really rad. <laughs> and especially since there's going to be a Halo TV series. I, I think it's going to be on Apple Plus later this year. So it's like, oh, wait, are they getting the jump on Halo by, by doing a ring world now on Star Wars? Um, some people I've seen online uh, uh, have made a reference to it being a call back to 2001 A Space Odyssey when, when Dave is jogging around uh, the cabin of Discovery 1. Uh, I can see that, too. I can see that too. But for me, Halo was the thing that I first thought of when I saw that. Uh, this Then we go to a nightclub, which made me think of Mass Effect. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, again, Star Wars has plenty of nightclubs. We've seen it before. But something about that one, like the way the music played, it reminded me of when you would go into any one of the nightclubs you would visit during the Mass Effect games. Uh, and maybe it was just me. But we find out that he's working for Initiative. Uh, she, she's the one who put the bounty out for the Clatoonian, she's going to pay him uh, and also give him some information. And, and Din has no interest in hanging out with this person longer than he needs to. Um, and that's because he's trying to get down to the Mandalorian Covert. Uh, the Mandalorian Covert is now, now hiding out on this ring world. And it, it's... Now here's, here's me kind of putting myself out there. All right. So we're catching up with Din. After the after the events of Return, uh, excuse me, after after the events of the season two finale, Grogu has gone off with Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, uh, and and Din is back. He's alone, uh, so he's going back to reconnect with his covert, with the people who raised him as a foundling. Um, he's going back to sort of like the only family that he's ever known, except for the one that he made on his own. Uh, but he's going back now to to, to be with them and to. Uh, hopefully recenter himself. I think it's what he's, he's ultimately hoping to do because he's going back to what he knows. Um, but he's not, he, he's experienced so much. He's changed so much from his experience with Grogu. Uh, he's not the same person who left the covert in episode three of season one. And we really get to see that by the, by the end of the duel. Um, but I, I think this talks a lot about his emotional state and how he's trying to reconnect with something, something familiar. Um, and he's going to learn that it's not as easy as he thought it was going to be because, again, his, his experiences have changed everything, and, and he's a changed person. And I really like that we're kind of underscoring that with the difficulties that he ends up ultimately having with the armorer and, and Paz Vizsla. Um, it's really neat to catch back up with the Covert so that we can kind of see where they are because we've not seen them since Navarro, since, since the third episode when they exposed themselves to save Din and Grogu and allow them to escape. Um, and, and yeah, we know a lot of Mandalorians died because of doing that. And so it's the armor and his paths, and they're going to attempt to rebuild their ranks there on that ring world. Um, we also get to find out about about the uh, all that great mythology, the Darkstaber. 
and, and all the cool stuff going on there. And I didn't mention it before, but we did talk about how Dan was sort of struggling with the Darksaber, and he gets that self-inflicted wound, uh, pretty bad burn on his leg, and he gets a nice back to spray from Paz to, to sort of help heal that up. Um, but again, sort of, for, sort of uh, uh, foreshadowing the sort of struggles that he's going to have trying to wield the Darksaber. We also get mention, uh, again, we, th- we get so much information in this section. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's really exciting because, uh, you know, when we first met Din in season one, you know, he was steadfast with the Creed, with this sect, you know, with the Death Watch clan of Mandalorians that, that, that raised him as a foundling. Uh, and now he knows much more about Mandalorians and the other sort of Mandalorians that are around uh, and that there's much more to their people than he's been led to believe. So he's asking questions. And and to her credit, the armorer is happy to answer those questions. And I, I don't think she misleads him in any way at, at all, especially when she goes, when he, he asks about Bo-Katan Kree's, um, and when she talks about the legend of the Darksaber and how if it's not one in combat, you know, it would be the downfall of the Mandalorian society. And that's kind of sort of what happened if we remember how Bo-Katan got the saber in the first place. It was handed to her. It wasn't one in combat. So uh, it, it's sort of like we're, we're, we're getting the prophecy, we're seeing the prophecy, and then we're hearing how, how Bo-Katan was not a great leader and, and sort of oversaw the downfall of Mandalore because, again, she was handed it, not one in battle, despite the fact that she's the one who tells the Mandalorian she tells Din Djarin in season two that it must be won in battle. And I wonder if, if uh, that was the lesson she had to learn the hard way. Uh, so, so food for thought on that one. But I wanted to go ahead and play the sequence where, where Din asks about Bo-Katan. Have you ever heard of Bo-Katan Kreez? Bo-Katan is a cautionary tale. She once laid claim to rule Mandalore based purely on blood and the sword you now possess. But it was gifted to her and not won by creed. Bo-Katan Kreez was born of a mighty house, but they lost sight of the way. Her rule ended in tragedy. They lost their way and we lost our world. Had our sect not been cloistered on the moon of Concordia, we would have not survived the Great Purge. And this is when we get another incredible callback. Um, not only are we getting to see the fall of Mandalore, the destruction of, of the capital city, uh, the destruction of the planet that, that we'd only been seeing in animation at this point. We get to see Concordia, and again, it's 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 mind blowing, but then they incorporate, uh, they incorporate a very Terminator, a very James Cameron Terminator style imagery of of KX droids, you know, run going through the wreckage and shooting, you know, the survivors of the bombing, after the type bombers do their damage, uh, and you see the 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 probe droids, doing the same thing. And again, if you're not thinking of the Terminator, oof, I mean, go rewatch the Terminator. Holy smokes, like that's that was so spot on with what they were doing there and i thought using the kx droids as sort of a stand-in for the terminators i thought was really really cool but we get to see the you know the night of a thousand tears when all the mandalorians are are you know when they're when they're 
people are basically slaughtered by the empire. Um, it's it's a fantastic sequence. It's a great flashback to to things that we have have heard referenced in the show in the Mandalorian, uh, and to sort of now see it actualized on the screen, phenomenal, just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, what's going on in the sequence too that that sort of caught my eye that I got very fascinated by was uh, the armorer asking Din about the Beskar spear and how he came to be, uh, and, and her telling him that uh, a Beskar spear sort of goes against everything the Mandalorians believe in uh, because it's a weapon that can be used to pierce Beskar, uh, and Beskar is for armor and armor alone. So that got me thinking, and you know, I, I tried to, I did run out of time um, with, uh, with my research uh, on this particular aspect of the of the of the of going back, but I was wondering, and let me know what you all think. But I got very very fascinated of who built, who constructed the Beskar spear. Was it the Morgan Elsbeth character that we met in the, the in the Jedi episode, uh, the Jedi chapter, the one that introduced live action Ahsoka Tano? Uh, w- was this her creation? Did she forge Beskar into this weapon? Uh, to potentially save her from Jedi and Mandalorians alike? Or was there somebody else involved in this? Was there some sort of maybe, when, and sort of where I let my imagination go, was a, a sort of hunter of the Mandalorians uh, who took their Beskar and made a weapon of it, went against their creed to make a weapon of Beskar to kill other Mandalorians, and then ultimately falls into Morgan Elsbeth's possession? I'd like to know those answers, but... The spear is being melted down, so I'm not sure we'll go too much further uh, into the history of the Beskar spear. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm very intrigued by that idea, by the notion of it, and I'd like to know more about it. Um, but we get to see the armor. She's going she's gonna to forge a little something-something for a certain foundling by the name of Grogu. And, yeah, you can tell, again, the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, um, he misses his little boy, his little adopted boy, and he wants to have the armor forge him a nice little gift. And again, you can't help but notice the the, the sort of symbolism in the way that that the gift is wrapped, with the sort of like the tails of it pointing out, resembling sort of Grogu with the long ears out the sides. I mean, just, come on, tell me that Din's not thinking like, "Oh, it's my boy, it's my little boy." Anyways, just wonderful stuff in this episode. So gosh darn good. Uh, and this is when we get our duel, because Paz Vizsla, not stoked that somebody not of his fa- of his house is now in possession of the dark saber, so he's going to challenge Din Djarin to a fight for it. And uh, again, it's another great fight. It's another good moment in this in the series. Uh, but what's also interesting is this is when Paz does get his hands on the dark saber during the duel, uh, he has just as much trouble wielding it as Din Djarin does sort of showing that neither one of them is, is ready and, and capable enough to wield that, that blade in the proper fashion, in the proper way. Uh, and and the, the work that was done by these actors to sort of show like the this, this, this sort of heft that the Darksaber has when you're not using it correctly, uh, I really, really dug that. I thought it was really, really fun. And it, it is sort of interesting that it's not until Din doesn't have the Darksaber in his possession when he's forced to use a vibroblade uh, that he's able to sort of turn the tables on Paz, who's been throwing him around and tossing him around like a like a sack of potatoes. Um, but once once Din has another weapon in his hand, one he can use without fighting against it, um, you get a lot more 
you get a lot more action out of it. Now I did skip ahead. I did skip ahead because we missed. The, I did skip the training sequence with the armorer where she's explaining to Din how he must focus, and because his mind is scattered because he's thinking about Grogu, that that is why he is uh, not able to wield the dark saber correctly, and while why she is bashing him so gosh darn easily. Uh, and again, it's an amusing sequence uh, when he falls off the platform, but he uses the phoenix to come back up again. And that's when Paz steps up. Is like, hey, you you don't know what you're doing here, but. That, that that saber belongs in my house, and I'm going to fight you for it right now. And then we go to the end of the duel, which is the moment. The moment where uh, Din has to put it all out there and learn the consequences of his actions, right? It is done. Paz Visla, have you ever removed your helmet? No. Has it ever been removed by others? Never. This is the way. This is the way. Dinjarin, have you ever removed your helmet? Have you ever removed your helmet? By creed, you must vow. I have. Then you are a Mandalorian no more. I beg you for your forgiveness. How can I atone? Leave apostate. According to Creed, one may only be redeemed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore. But the mines have all been destroyed. This is the way. So he's called out by his adopted family now and asked to leave. So not only has Din, within a short time frame, lost his adopted son, he's now lost his adopted family. And Din is truly, truly alone. Uh, and I think this is a um, very interesting turn of events for, for Din. Uh, and to be so quickly cast out by, by the sect, by, by Death Watch, um, is very interesting. And to be called a Pulsite, too, is a person who... Um, renounces a religious sort of belief, right? Um, but it wasn't so much of a renouncing that Din Din did. Din removed his helmet in order to get the information to track down Moff Gideon so he could rescue Grogu. And then he did it at the end so that he could he could look on his boy with his own eyes, as, as Darth Vader once told Luke Skywalker. Um, but yeah, I mean, these, these uh, religious sects, they're pretty, they're pretty hardcore when it comes to their rules. And it seems like the only way for Din to atone for that is to is to try to access the minds of Mandalore, right? So are we are we setting up some stuff for season three of The Mandalorian? Will we go to Mandalore? Will will Din attempt to uh, atone and, and rejoin his covert, uh, help rebuild the covert with the armorer and Paz Vizsla and, and other members of of the Watch who may be scattered around the, the galaxy? Uh, or will he fall in with Bo-Katan's Mandalorians and start to learn the other side of the Mandalorian society uh, and, and, and more from their perspective and less from the Watch's perspective that he was raised with? Um, it, it feels like this, this section in particular is doing a lot of uh, setting up for the next season of Mando, uh, which I'm really, really intrigued by the possibilities of, of getting to go to Mandalore 
you know, seeing the ruins, seeing what's left, seeing if anyone's there trying to rebuild, you know, what that society looks like on that planet. Um, there's, there's so much potential there. It's so rife with possibility. Um, that I, I definitely feel that it is, is, it is, uh, we're, we're going to sneak peek of what's going to be going on in, in, in some of the episodes for season three. So I'm excited about that, but it does cause our character to now be truly, truly alone. Uh, he doesn't have many people left in his, his corner that he can turn to. Uh, so he decides to hop a freighter. I guess we find out later on, he got a message from Pelimoto that she has a lead on a, on a new replacement for the Razor Crest. So he's going to fly to Tatooine because he still has no ship. Uh, so he has to fly commercial and it's a rather amusing sequence with when, he, when he's forced to disarm and, and, uh, he threatens the security droid, lets him know that he knows everything that's in there, but it's funny to watch him take off all the weapons, all the gear and all that stuff like that. Uh, and then in transit, he has, an, there's another little moment with a small Rodian child who's staring at him and, Again, it's a moment where he, he sort of is, is processing and, and thinking of, of what he's uh, lost by letting Grogu go with Master Skywalker. Um, yeah. And then we go to Tatooine and we catch up with Pelimoto. And listen, this was the moment for me <laughs> because when I saw the BD, the BD droid, I lost it. I was so freaking excited. Um, I don't know if I have talked too much about my just absolute sheer love for BD1 from, from Fallen Order, the, the great video game on PlayStation and on Xbox. Uh, BD1 quickly became one of my favorite Star Wars characters in that game. Uh, and to see a BD unit in this show made me squeal with delight. Um, and again, you have to ask yourself the question, is it just a BD unit or... Has Pelimoto had somehow come into possession of the BD-1 from a certain Cal Kestis? Perhaps their paths had crossed. Perhaps he left BD-1 there in her capable hands. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. I mean, they, they have confirmed that there will be a Fallen Order 2 coming out. Maybe we'll get more, more information on, on BD-1 and where he could end up at certain points. Uh, but it's exciting to think about, for me at least, as someone who loves that little droid so dang much, uh, that hey, maybe it is BD-1. Wouldn't that be awesome? But still, even just having a regular old BD unit on the show made me so happy. Made me so, so happy. <laughs> and we also get to see a Womp Rat. That's exciting, too. Uh, but Pelly has brought Mando to Tatooine uh, under, under, with the sort of impression that, that she has a replacement ship for the Razor Crest. Uh, and he is... Uh, not very happy when he finds out that it's not another Razor Crest. That it is, in fact, an N1 Naboo Starfighter. The callback to Episode 1, the, the ship of the Royal, of the royal Court of Naboo, the, commissioned by the Queen herself, as, as Pelly tells Mando in the episode. Um, and I'll be, I'll be honest, it's, it's a unique-looking ship, but I like the Razor Crest more, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but it, it leads to a really great sequence with the two of them, with Pelly, uh, Mando... And then the pit droids and all the other droids, the BD unit, all the other droids, the conch droid, all kind of coming together to make this ship into into a ship that the Mando might might uh, might be interested in. I don't know what. Let, let's talk about this real quick though. Uh, from a practical standpoint, um, as far as like a bounty hunting goes, uh, he, I guess he's just going to have to shift to mostly taking them in cold, <laughs> because you know you're not going to get a carbon freezing chamber in there. And there's no place to store anything. I um, mean, you have a really great fast ship, 
and that's cool. And and hopefully, uh, Pelly helped you upgrade the the, the weapons because we remember they didn't do much damage against that uh, against that droid control ship in Episode One. So hopefully, you've upgraded the weapons on that sucker. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that was sort of like my 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 the thing I was left wondering about with 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 Mando taking on that N one. It's like, where is he going to put his, his bounties? <laughs> Maybe I'm being too practical. I don't know. I don't know. I get that was like, that, that was sort of my question that I, I left, was left wondering. Uh, but again, it's a, it's a really great sequence uh, of them putting the ship together, of of getting to meet, uh, seeing uh, seeing Peli, the way she talks to the Jawas, the way she's able to communicate with them. Uh, there's so many fun things in in the sequence. And again, all the droids are just a blast. They're really really uh, fun and exciting. And again, I will say it one more time, a BD unit. I just, I can't get enough of it. Give me more BD units. Um, some people have also, uh, there is a, a sequence when, with the Womp Rat that is very um, Jurassic Park-ish. Um, and I guess that makes a certain amount of sense with Bryce, you know, with Bryce Dallas Howard being involved in the show. But I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't that overwhelmed with it as a Jurassic Park throwback. I just thought it was sort of just a funny sequence with, with Amy Sedaris doing her thing. Um, but what do you think? You think I'm, I'm, did I miss, did I miss the point on that one? Maybe I did. Maybe I did. Uh, the other little nugget in this, in this episode, the, the item that Din, one of the items that the, that Din wants the job was to find for him, the cryogenic density combustion booster, AKA that giant silver rod that we once saw Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Princess Leia try to use to uh, keep the trash compactor from crushing them. Well, now we know what it is. And when you saw that rod, you saw the same thing I thought. You're like, wait a second, that's the rod. That's what they tried to use to keep the trash compactor. And then we find out it's an actually valuable part for starfighters. So I thought that was a really fun little sequence too. And then obviously the big moment where where Din takes off in the ship. And uh, it's it's a pretty cool sequence when he when he lifts off and he's kind of taking out real cautious like and then uh he just kind of punches it right and takes off and you just see it you just dart across the sky uh pretty awesome and then of course uh we get to kind of re again another another revisiting of episode one uh where we sort of see sections of anakin skywalker's boon to eve classic his pod race a lot of familiar sights there we get to go to beggar's canyon and then we launch into space and and, and din's having a, a darn good time getting to getting to fly that ship. Uh, and then, then the New Republic has to come and harsh everyone's buzz. Max Lloyd-Jones and Paul Sun-Hung Lee uh, as X-Wing pilots. Again, it's always great to see, to see uh, Paul Sun-Hung uh, Sun Lee, excuse me, uh, Captain Carson Teva back in action. And then uh, nice to see Max Lloyd-Jones get a, get a role, not as Luke Skywalker's body double. Um, but man, the New Republic seems like a bunch of, a bunch of uh, party poopers, don't they? Just showing up like like the like the cops is just you know, hey man, you're having too much fun out here. License registration and all that stuff is oh what a bureaucracy they've turned into already. Uh, <laughs> but again, as Carson Tifa sort of recognizes the Mandalorian's voice, and then he wants to ask him a bunch of questions, and then we get to see him hit that button that Pelly shows, and and the ship just darts out. And uh, again, a great sequence. And the, the New Republic is left not to want to fill out paperwork. And then as Mando lands back in Pelly's garage, we get the, 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 another episode one callback when she asks how it was, and he has this to say. Whew. Well, how was it? 
is it? Wizard. <laughs> and it's at this point that Fennec Shand uh, arrives on the scene and, and uh, has a conversation about Mando, how Boba Fett could use some muscle. Uh, she offers him a lot of money. He declines, tells Boba, or tells Fennec to tell Boba that this one's on the house. And, but he has to go do something first. He has to go see a little friend first. And so that makes me wonder, uh, is, that, is that the next, are we, get, are we spending one more episode with Mando as he goes to see Boba? Or I'm sorry, oh my goodness, as he goes to see Grogu and, and Jedi Master Skywalker and, and witness Jedi training? Uh, will he go and get a lesson on how to use the Darksaber from Master Skywalker? Um, I, I think these things are, are uh, reasonable questions to ask. And I'm not opposed to any of it by any, by any stretch. But again, if, if, you, if you're on social media, if you are you know, doing the Twitter, the trend, you know, all, any, any, any platform for social media, right? You have to have seen the criticism out there that um, the show's sort of getting attacked because the best episode of the show so far doesn't even have Boba Fett in it. And is, 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 is the Mandalorian uh, sort of derailing Boba Fett's show from within, in, in a sense? And again, we have to watch the entire series, and, and that's all I'm going to try, try and stress at this point. Um, I don't want to say I'm concerned that, that the Mandalorian is sort of upstaging Boba Fett in his own show at the moment. Um, because I'm not, because again, because we're going to wait until the end to see where it goes. But if we spend another full episode with the Mandalorian, with Din, um, again, it's another interesting, bold choice. But sort of the, what I was thinking about all day long as I was sort of mentally preparing to do the podcast was the Star Wars galaxy. And, and when I say that, I'm not talking, I'm talking about the movies, the shows, the books, the comics, all of them, all the all the different different media stuff, uh, the the even the, the the audio dramas, all these things, they are all a wonderful tapestry that works insanely well together, and and when you have the creators weaving together, <laughs> if this makes this is a weird, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sort of struggling with my metaphor here, but again. It's a beautiful tapestry when everyone's kind of doing when they when they all know what the picture's gonna look like, and so I don't have a problem with Din weaving in and out of the Book of Boba Fett. I don't have a problem with Boba weaving in and out of the Mandalorian, or Ahsoka weaving in and out of the Mandalorian, or you know Bo-Katan Kryze. Like all these characters, all these people need to interact uh, to make the Star Wars galaxy feel more real and more defined, and so I'm I'm okay with these sort of quote unquote diversion. From the main storyline, um, we're not we're not we're not simpletons. We are smart, savvy people. As an audience, we are more capable of following more than one storyline, and I think we're I think no, those of us who want to go on the ride, we're on the ride. So why, why not have fun while we're on the ride? And and again, if 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 this doesn't land uh, after the after the season finale, then we'll talk about that. But let's see where we go. Let's see how this works out. Let's see how they how they bring this together. You know, Favreau has done two really great seasons of The Mandalorian. I trust him. We all trust him. Let's let's see where it ends up. Let's see what happens. And again, I know people have been harsh on the Boba Fett show, uh, 
Uh, we love the Boba Fett show on this podcast. Uh, all you kind, generous people who listen to this podcast are fans of the show. Uh, just, just let's just be cool. <laughs> let's let's be cool and see where we go. All right. Uh, and remember, think if you think of Star Wars as more as a tapestry, as a lived-in universe where characters can you know weave in and out of the stories. Um, as, as, as needed, as necessary, as, as sort of like their lives intersect with various points in other characters' lives, uh, then I think this works in an insane, insanely well. You may recall in the early days of this, of this podcast, back before, uh, gosh, it might have been right around season one of The Mandalorian, maybe, maybe after season one or just before season one of The Mandalorian started, um, I had talked about yeah, gosh, it must have been very early on in in, in the show's history. Um, you know, I was I was pitching a show that was sort of like the book, like the Book of Boba Fett in a way, um, but it was all about like Star Wars underworld and how you would have the characters like the bounty hunters, like Boba Fett and Bosk and Dengar, uh, crossing paths with with characters like Han Solo and Chewbacca and Lando, and it would be sort of like an anthology show, like. It would weave itself together, and then by the end of the season, you sort of tie it together. All these threads kind of come together in a very cohesive manner. Um, and in the end, like, because I was, I wanted a story like that. That they're doing a story in a in a in a, in a sort of similar way works for me. And that's all I really have to say about that. Not that I'm some sort of smart prescient person or whatever like that, but you know, again. Star Wars is this lived-in universe. It's this lived-in galaxy. Uh, and it's more interesting when more characters' paths do cross each other and intersect at various times. Again, I, there's been a push for, for uh, uh, Han Solo to make an appearance in the show. Why not? Bring in Alden Ehrenreich. You know? Bring in Chewbacca. Let's, let's do this. Let's make this, this universe uh, cohesive. And, 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 you know, why not? I mean, Tatooine seems to be like the center point for so many, so many uh, interesting things in Star Wars. Uh, why not have Han kind of like wonder, like, hey, I heard Boba Fett was back and doing things. I got I to gotta check this out. Like, there, there seems to be, you know, because those characters have such a history, like, why wouldn't he be interested in, in that? Um, not, that I'm, not that I'm saying Han's going to show up. You know, that might be getting too big for our britches. We don't want to get to the point where we're relying on other characters to show up in these shows to um, sort of propel them, right? You know, I, I made a comment on Twitter a few weeks back. You know, it's like, as much as I love Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker does, doesn't show up on the Book of Boba Fett. Well, in this sense, if we're following the Mandalorian, if we're following Din Djarin to check up on Grogu as he's getting Jedi training, then that actually makes more sense than Luke just showing up because he's like, I miss Tatooine. I wanted to come back and see the old homestead. Um, now it makes sense. You know, you're... you're, you're you're trying to re- again. You're you're <laughs> tripping all over myself, but you've set that up. You've established that as a connection. Uh, these two characters have an intersection, and it's Grogu. So that makes a ton of sense. And um, we'll we'll, just, we'll see what happens. I'm excited. I'm I'm really excited. This was a phenomenal episode of the show. Uh, it's great to catch up with Dinjar and to see his the sort of the way his life has kind of become upended after the events of season two. Uh, when he when he you know gives up his adopted son, uh, and now he loses his adopted family with the covert with the with the with the, with the watch covert, uh, kicking him out for removing his helmet in front of others, and yeah, I mean this this character's in a he's in a 
difficult place, but I think uh, Peli helps get him a little bit more centered. He now has a ship. That's exciting. He has his little gift for Grogu from the uh, from the armor from before. She kicked him out. Um, and it sounds like, yeah, he wants to go see his kid first before he's going to help Boba. But let's see where that takes us. Let's see where that goes. I'm excited, man. It's going to be... It's going to be a fun, fun ride for these next, I think it's, I think two episodes left, right? Uh, and if memory serves, next week, written by Dave Filoni. So that one could be real, real interesting to check out as well. So I mean, definitely, I mean, we're all excited. Let's not get crazy. We're all pumped up. We're all ready to go. Let's see what happens next. Um, and again, always keep your, keep your, keep your opinion, keep your mind open. Let's see how the story finishes up. We'll keep talking about it as it goes on. And again, from my point of view, Star Wars as as a, as a, this wonderful living tapestry. That's I think that's the way you want to tell these stories, because um, it is such a rich universe, rich Star Wars galaxy. Let's play in it as much as we can and have fun there. All right. So yeah, all right. That's the episode. That is Chapter Five of the Book of Boba Fett: The Return of the Mandalorian. And I mean, if I were to give it buckets, it's ten buckets. It's 10 buckets. It's not even close. It's a, it's a slam dunk, home run, grand salami, the whole, the whole shebang. The whole shebang. All right. So thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. I'm so delighted to be here. I hope that the uh, MandaVision After Dark voice wasn't too annoying. Uh, we'll get back to our sort of normal modulation levels next week. But I thank you for bearing with me today. Uh, it does mean the world to me that you're here, that you're checking out the show that you're sharing us on, on social media and, and reaching out to us on social media at Mando underscore Vision, Twitter, and Instagram. Please email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. And again, make sure you're liking, subscribing, and sharing the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. I want to give a special shout-out to the official MandoVision Maniacs, which you can sign up for over at patreon.com forward slash MandoVision. You can join the Maniacs and gain access to sweet bonus content like our new James Bond No Time to Die review episode out now to our Patreons. Thank you to the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman Abejo, Jeff Nail, Jeff Coast of the Ringineer, and Great Music Podcast. Please check them out. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles, the Squid Master General Brian Broussard, the New Jersey Devil Mark Wegemer, our very own Joker Harley Quinn, Brian and Krista of Pride Brewing Company here in San Diego, California, and now in Baltimore, Maryland. The Beer Hop Brigadier General, Jesus Beer Hops, the Silent Assassin, he who should not be named, and Syndicate Ram, co-host of Come On Is Still Good, a great, great podcast that I have been a guest on a couple of times, uh, and they are super, super good friends, and I'm always delighted to, to hang out with them. So, yeah, you can do that. Again, Mandovision Maniacs over at patreon.com forward slash Mandovision. Thanks so very, very much. All right, we're going to get out of here, uh, and, and, you know, we got to hear it today, and it made me so excited because when I saw that we were hanging out in the covert, hanging out with the armorer, hanging out with Paz Vizsla, you knew we were going to hear it. So, yeah, and they know. And they're going to tell you, this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. I would like to see the baby.